tonight we're going to be in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 35. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. The title of the message is From a Slave to a Kingdom Mentality. The Bible says, Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Oh, no, he's going to be teaching on money. Well, not really, but it's in there. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet, red, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. So we're going to be having an offering of goat skins, badger skins, and acacia wood after the service. Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. So... Um, as we've been seeing in the past few weeks, God has sent a man by the name of Moses to Egypt with the task of delivering his people from slavery and bondage to the Egyptian nation. This was in order to keep his promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan. And through a great deliverance with mighty signs and wonders, God did indeed free his people. And when he did, we find that he even sent them out of Egypt with great resources as they plundered the Egyptians of wealth. Exodus 3, 20 22 Bible says, I will stretch out, the Lord speaking, I will stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in their midst, and, I, and after that, he will let you go, <clears throat> and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. By the by, the way, I'm not going through all the the, the, the the stuff that they've been that has been taken from them. What I want you to see here, this is an aside, but I'm just thinking about it. That all this wealth that they left Egypt with, they didn't earn it, right? God gave it to them. We need to understand that God gave it to them. Now hold that, and we'll get back to that in a minute. So first point I want to look at is I want to look at Israel, and Israel was a nation at this time of slaves and poverty. Exodus 12, 35, the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked them for the, the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. We need to realize the way things begin for the Israelites in their deliverance from captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. Now, before they went into Egypt, God had blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. They had an abundance. But over time, all that they had, all their resources were stripped from them, and now they had and owned nothing. See, that's the thing about slavery. Uh, the, the, when you're in slavery, is that you, the person, are considered a possession. Now, we're not saying this is right. We're just telling you, this is what, you're, what it's considered. You're considered a possession, and you are someone else's belonging, and since you are more than who you are, all that you have belongs to them as well. And so slaves have and own nothing. The Israelites are slaves. And so they begin this journey of deliverance in a state of poverty. They are stripped of everything. The good news is that with God, they don't stay that way. And the good news is that with God, we don't stay that way. We begin with little, but if we pursue God, what we'll find is that we can end with much. Right? Now, some of us have different forms of wealth. Some of us have wealth 
in the form of money and, and, and resources, tangible material goods. But some of us don't realize how wealthy we are because we're wealthy with novels, uh, creative ideas. We're wealthy with uh, 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 solutions to problems, with wisdom. I'm wealthy. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm wealthy in the things of God. And I'm not being arrogant. I just believe the Lord has blessed me with the ability uh, to understand and to be able to give forth the things that he's given to me. So, But I'm not wealthy with money, but I'm wealthy in, 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 in the things of God. Now, I want to be able to give an inheritance to my kids one day. So it, it behooves me to, to become wealthy in the things of God. The inheritance that I give them may not necessarily be houses, cars, whatever the case may be, but their inheritance will be to drink from the well that I've got freedom to drink from. Now, whether they take advantage of, of that or not is up to them, but I do have something to give, and what I want you to realize is that you have something to give that God has given you. Every one of us has something that God has given to us, okay? Now, the second point I want to look at is deliverance and provision. In Exodus 12, 36, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. When God get, delivered the Israelites, he gave them supernatural favor so that they might receive from their captors the provisions that they would ask for. It wasn't earned. It was a result of God's favor. Without God's favor, they would have had nothing. With God's favor, they have everything that they're going to ask for, and God told them what to ask for. So God provided these riches for his people by plundering the Egyptians. They went from having nothing to having an extreme abundance. You say, well, how do you know they had an extreme abundance? Because the Bible says they plundered Egypt. They left Egypt with all the riches of Egypt. They left with them a, a, a nation of 2 million, maybe 3 million people, counting women and children, and they plundered all of Egypt, which was the greatest uh, 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 nation at this particular time. Imagine if God did that here in the United States and plundered the United States. We're talking about trillions of dollars. Now, I don't know that that equates to them. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that they left extremely wealthy. All right? Matthew 5 and 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, yet that you through his poverty might become rich. Ephesians 1, 16 and 19, do, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, Paul praying for the Ephesians church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now I want you to know that God has resonant within his church everything the church needs to be able to uh, not only overcome, but to be able to walk triumphantly in this planet. What is the problem then is that it is available to those who believe. So first you've got to know that this is what God has made available, and then you have to believe. That's not hard. Thank you, Pilar. I appreciate that. You've got to know 
what God has done for you, and then you have to walk it out. You have to believe that this is, we're so used to believing that we are uh, the enemy's uh, target in the sense that he has power over us, he has authority over us, he just whistles this way and that, and he blows the wind and blows us wherever we want, but we need to understand that that may be the reality of where we're at, but it's not the truth of what God has made available to us. He's given us authority. He's given us a power. He's given us uh, an incredible inheritance in Christ. The riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints is supernatural. It's overcoming everything, anything that's available on this planet. And yet the, the church lives far below what God has called us to live because we don't know what God has done for us. And if we do, we think, well, it's not for me. And it doesn't match my scenario. And that's what we need to understand is that we've got to raise our bar to his bar, not lower his bar to ours imagine if we went to the Olympics and all everybody did was try to lower the bar to what they thought they could do that's not what happens when they go to the Olympics and they compete they raise the bar and what they find is that most of them are able to do more than they ever thought they could do because they are jumping and trying to overcome a higher hurdle than they've ever done before right? But what we often do is we lower the bar to the level of our experience instead of raising our experience to the height of his bar. We have to learn how to do that. So anyway, let's get to the third point. Third point we're looking at is provision and perversion. Exodus 32, 2 through 4, Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings. Now, what, are, what kind of earrings? These aren't, these aren't uh, uh, what's the name of that? TJ Maxx earrings. <laughs> these are Jared's. <laughs> these are these are what's that? Uh, K Jewelers earrings. These aren't Target, you know, specials. Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, uh oh, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to know, this idol probably wasn't this big. This is probably a pretty big thing that they made, and it was made out of pure gold. Imagine what something like that would cost today. And this was all from the earrings that they were taking out of their ears, and all of that came from what? From the abundance that they plundered Egypt from that they plundered from Egypt, right? So where'd they get this gold to fund this idol? They got it from the favor that God had put upon them to acquire these riches. God gave them this resources. God gave them this money. God gave them this wealth. God gave it to them. They were now taking that which God had given them and using it not for noble purposes, but for ignoble purposes. They were using it to fund their own perverse, ungodly, unrighteous, self-centered lifestyle. And this type of lifestyle, this type of living, ended up producing death in the congregation and death among themselves instead of life. Now I want you to know, sometimes I get a chance to go to Houston. And when I go to Houston, you see one every once in a while around here. But in Houston, you see them every street corner has a businessman on that corner. Or a businesswoman. Or we went to Webster and we saw a business family. 
They even have their children out there, right? And they have a sign, which is, uh, uh, you know, how they do business. It's their business card. And they basically say, and I mean, they work. Uh, it's just amazing to me how uh, profitable they can be at doing the business that they do. They have to market. They have to acquire funds. They have to uh, fend off any type of outside corporation trying to take over their company and their business. They have to be able to, they have to have resources. They have to have all these kind of things. It's amazing the capacity that people have, but the capacity they have to do things that are not noble, but ignoble. Instead of using their gifts for good, they use it for bad, right? Now, I'm not saying that if you're in need, it's wrong to ask for money. I'm just saying, listen, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the most discerning guy in the world. But I would tend to think that 99 out of 100 of those people on the street corners aren't really in the need that they say they are. Right? They're not. I'm not saying there aren't some that are. But it's, you've got to wade through the ones that aren't to find the ones that truly are, and unfortunately the ones that truly are often don't get their needs met because of all the people that aren't. So anyway, um, um, they, they, the Israelites were using their resources to fund their own ungodly, unrighteous, self-centered lifestyle. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. He, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And by the way, some say money. Some of the newer translations say money. But uh, I think in, the, in uh, uh, the New King James and the King James, and I, maybe in the ASV as well, ESV as well, it says mammon. And mammon is not just money. Mammon is an evil spirit over money. Not all money, because money can be used for good and money can be used for bad. But mammon is a spirit that tries to use money to influence us to not further the things of God, but further to our, our own selfish lifestyle. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people, he's talking about his people, says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So basically what he's trying to say is that you are not just building a house, but you got so much uh, uh, you know, resources that you're paneling your house. You're, you're adding to your house. You don't just have a room. You got beautiful crown molding that you're putting in your room. You don't just have carpet. You're putting nice marble floors in your house. Now, I know it doesn't say that. I'm just trying to get to the context, right? And then you say that the temple of God, you know, it's not time to build the temple, right? And, and he's saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple, the house of God, to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Back then, they probably used to put their money in a bag, right? And they find out you get there, and I thought I had a lot of money. You ever, you ever get a paycheck, 
and all of a sudden you go and pay your bills and, and you look and you look in your bag and there's nothing? And you go, what do I, I thought, what happened to all the money that I had? You know, what happened? And then you start laying out, well, I had to pay this, I had to pay that, I had to pay this, I had to pay that, I had to pay this, I had to pay that, right? And the next thing you know, you got enough to get a Happy Meal at McDonald's. <laughs> Today we eat and drink. Tomorrow we don't know. What we need to realize is that poverty, though, is more than just lack. You can have a lot of resources, but have a poverty mindset. Poverty is a way of thinking. You can have plenty and still think as if you're in poverty. The Israelites had resources, but they still had a poverty mentality. What is a poverty way of thinking? Well, in a poverty way of thinking, resources are used selfishly instead of to promote the benefit of other people and actually what I have in here because ultimately instead of promoting the kingdom how many anybody here uh, ever watch I love to watch Charles Dickens the Christmas story right and what did Scrooge do ultimate example and he said well I'm not Scrooge well how many of us if we were honest if we didn't look old you know and we didn't do this you know we know people aren't we don't we not ourselves we, we're not gonna look in any mirrors tonight but we know you know, that uh, everything's about me. I want more, more. I need more. And it doesn't matter how much he has, because come to find out this person was extremely wealthy. I'm talking about the Christmas story, but he kept wanting more. And he would take from you to have more for him. If you had nothing, that was good for him. And what was he, what was he judged for? Because he used his riches for himself, and basically he did nothing with it instead of benefiting mankind. Instead of benefiting the widows and the orphans in their distress, right? Using it selfishly instead of using it to promote the kingdom. And that brings me to my fourth point, provision and worship. Exodus 35, 4 through 9, Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod, and then the breastplate. Uh, what's interesting here is that the people were now using the possessions that God had given them not for ignoble purposes, not to create for themselves an idol, not to create a way for them to be able to selfishly uh, rise up and eat and drink and eat and drink and eat and drink and revel and play. Right? They were now using it to build the tabernacle of God, to build the kingdom of God. They were using it to bring God's kingdom into manifestation in the earthly realm. They were actually building a tabernacle that its blueprint was given to Moses from the heavenly realm. So they were bringing heaven to earth, but in order to bring heaven to earth, they had to have the resources to do and to create in this planet what God had asked for them. But God is so good, he provided it for them. He didn't provide them just the resources they needed to build the tabernacle. He provided them more resources than they would ever need to build the tabernacle and to live life. He provided so much for them, but even with everything they provided, they didn't want to use it in the book of Haggai, but they didn't want to use it to build God's temple. They wanted to use it to build their own house, to build their own life. 
But God is so good, when we realize what we've been doing, he gives us another opportunity to use what he's given to us. We need to be aware that he's the one that's given to us. He's the one that's provided for us. He's the one that's blessed us. He's the one that's given us life. He's given us breath. He's given us wisdom. He's given us ability. He's given us favor. He's given us all of this. Right? And all that he's given to us, one of the things that he wants us to do is to use our talents, our abilities, our resources to build the kingdom. Right? Now, he didn't take everything you have. But then the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's amazing is if you seek God first, everything else will be taken care of. All these things that you worry about, all these things you're concerned about. What about my retirement? What about my 401k? You know, what about this? What about my children? All of that. You seek first the kingdom, you take care of his business, and he'll take care of your business. You hearing what I'm saying? Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with uh, first fruits. Give him your best. Used to be a time, um, it's happened a few times now I'm in here. Used to be a time when people would go buy something new and they'd bring their old one to the church. Well, I wanted something better. This one doesn't work so good. Hey, maybe the church can use it. Okay. <laughs> All right, you know, I understand, you know, we take it. Well, I don't know how many vacuum cleaners we had, but um, I'm sure we had an overflow closet for vacuums. But um, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say give them your worst. doesn't give them your used stuff. doesn't give them the, 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 the least. It says give them your best. Give them your, your first fruits. Give them your uh, honor the Lord. That means worship God. Uh, in the book of Malachi, it says, you bring, he said, he said, you know, uh, uh, um, and let me turn there, in the book of Malachi. It's the Italian prophet, Malachi. It says, uh, in the book of Malachi, um, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer uh, used and uh, no good vacuum cleaners on my altar. <laughs> you give your broken down vehicles to the church because you can't, get a, you can't get anybody to buy it. I'm serious. People can't get anybody to buy their stuff. They bring it to the church. He said, the table, uh, uh, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? The Bible says, honor the Lord. Worship the Lord. He is a great, awesome, majesty, majestic, uh, mighty king. Worthy of reverence. Right? He didn't ask you for anything. I mean, for everything. He just says, honor him. And he hears the thing. If you honor him with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. There's a scripture in Proverbs, I can't remember where it's at, but it says, you, you keep and you find that in the end you have nothing, but to the one who gives, it seems like he's got everything. 
as you honor the Lord with your wealth, as you submit your resources to God, your resources and your wealth no longer hold sway over you. And now God can use you and the resources he puts in your hands to bless the people around you as we advance the kingdom of God in our midst. And so as you give, more will be given to you. Why? Because it's not about how much you have, it's about your faithfulness. Will you use what God has given you for His purposes? If you'll use it for His purposes, He'll give you more. You ever heard of people that said, God, if I just win the lottery, I'll give you... They say, I'll give you 90%. $300 million, they're figuring, $300 million, I'll make $30 million. I'll give you 90% if I win the lottery, right? Well, how much are you giving them now? Zero. You know how much you're going to get? You're going to give when you win the lottery? Nothing. Zero. Because if you're not faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much. But if you're faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. Again, it says in the book of uh, uh, um, uh, Matthew 6, 24, I already read that. You can't serve God and mammon. Haggai 1, 7 through 11, it says, when the, uh, I already read that as well. I'm on the, I'm on the wrong page here. Okay, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city uh, that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to our, who, all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good character. Is that what it says? Your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we emphasize a lot about supernatural works, Right? healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, because I believe in that. I'm an I'm a incredible believer in that, and we need to raise the bar of our experience to begin to see more and more people saved, healed, delivered, and set free. I believe in that 100%. But I also believe that the church needs to be the leader in, in, in uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, caring for the widows and the orphans and their distress, meeting the needs of our community. We need, to, we need to let them see God by our good works. It's so often that the church is going with, a, with their hat in their hand asking for the world to bless us, and we should be the ones that go to the world and say, how can we bless you? You hearing what I'm saying? But it's a, yeah, we're, we're the church. We're children of a king. We're sons and daughters of a king. Hey, can you give me uh, tax-free on this? Can you give me a deal on this? Because we're the church. Can you get? I'm not opposed to that at all. But it's kind of like, hey, would you mind donating that to the church, whatever the case may be? If they do, great. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is kind of like we, we just have this poverty mentality, like there's never enough. God has more than enough. Well, how come we're not seeing it? Maybe we haven't been faithful with the little. But as we're faithful with the little, God has promised that he would give us much. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. You know what that word haughty means? Right? I didn't say haughty. I said haughty. It means proud. Yes, it is. <laughs> it said not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Now, he's not telling this to the poor. He's telling this to the rich. Command those who are rich 
in this present age not to be uh, proud, not to trust in uncertain riches. In other words, don't put your trust in how much you have in your bank account. Your trust should be in Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. Whether you have little or whether you have much, right? Who gives all, like who gives richly all things, not just what you need. I love this passage. I love this scripture. I'm, I'm really just kind of seeing it. for Not just so that you have what you need, but so that you can enjoy it. God wants you to enjoy this life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But where does true joy really come? Giving, right? You make a living by what you get. You make a, a life by what you give. Let them, those who are rich, do good that they may be rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. How you use your riches determines how you spend eternity. Isn't that what that just said? Right? How you use your riches and your wealth determines how you're going to spend eternity. I'm not saying that you won't go to heaven, but you want to spend eternity uh, 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 with a great rewards from the Lord. And somebody said, well, I just want to get to heaven. No, I want everything that heaven has available for me. If Jesus promised me a reward, then he must think it's valuable and necessary for me to have a reward. I want that reward. Well, you're just being proud. Is it proud to want what God wants you to have? Did you know that, that the disciples were, were, were arguing about greatness and Jesus never chastised them for wanting to be great? He just taught them how to be great in the kingdom. We would say, it's wrong for you to want to be great. Jesus didn't do that. That's a good thing. But let me show you how you're great in the kingdom of God. If you want to go up, you've got to go down. And he taught them how to achieve greatness. And the Bible teaches us how to achieve wealth. And the Bible teaches us how to have abundance in life, but in order to do it, we can't do it the way we've been doing it because we do it, I'm talking about in the worldly way because that's not the kingdom way. We've got to learn how to do it the kingdom way, and the kingdom way is that you give and you use it for the benefit of mankind. And not only will the people around you be blessed, but you'll be blessed. You'll never feel more uh, 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 happy and joyful in your life than when you see what God has given you used in the, to, to bless somebody else and you see somebody go from a position of, 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 uh, of uh, having little lack or being in need and, and seeing God transform their life and you getting the opportunity to be used by God to be a part of that. There's nothing, there's no greater joy in life than seeing a life change and you getting to be a part of that. Last point we're going to look at, worship and transformation. Exodus 36, 2 through 7. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone who stirred, whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. So let me stop right there. Bezalel and Aholiab were in charge of all that needed to be done in crafting the things that needed to be crafted for the tabernacle. And I want you to know, the tabernacle was not put together by kindergartners. Get a little bit of Play-Doh and make a lampstand. No, it was put together by the best craftsmen on the face of the planet. And you know where they got that ability? From the Spirit of God. 
the Spirit of God, God anointed them, and I want you to understand that God anoints you to be able to do the things that you do. He anointed them not to preach the Word of God, not to be a priest. He anointed them to be craftsmen. How do I do? How do I bring in a manifestation of what God is wanting me to do in the artistic realm? It's the anointing of God on your life. How do I preach? It's the anointing of God on my life. How do I do business? It's the anointing of God in your life. The anointing of God leads us to do that. And everyone who the Lord had put wisdom, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. And so they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. I guess they didn't have Ross and TJ Maxx and JC Penney's and, and, and dealers in the desert. But they wanted to spend their money, so the ladies went, let's go make something for the tabernacle. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for that amen. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Now, this was really the catalyst for where I wanted to get at with this teaching. It's just something just went off. Of me. What caught my attention is that this nation of slaves who had not just lacked when it came to their possessions but actually had a poverty mentality were now looking at life at least the people that were in charge of the tabernacle and Moses were looking at life differently I can't speak for all the people because the reality was when God rained down quail if you've ever heard that uh, 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 that teaching that I did or you've ever done a little bit of study when God gave them quail he said okay you want quail I'm going to give you quail and he said I want you to get enough quail today and there will be enough quail for a whole month he said but just get enough for what you need and come back the next day and get enough for what you need and then the Bible says that they went and gathered quail and then God struck them with a, a plague and I said why would God do that if he gave them the quail because what you don't realize is that when I did the math every person in the, the camp of Israel was collecting about I think it was 10 55-gallon drumfuls of quail. Why were they collecting 10 55-gallon drumfuls of quail every day uh, for themselves? Because they didn't trust that there would be more tomorrow. There's a poverty mentality. Right? And that's my point where I'm going at here is that when you have a poverty mentality, you never stop people from giving. If they're given to you, you keep it coming. You keep coming. I don't care how much we got. We need more. We never have enough. There's always going to be a need for more. So bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, right? But they're dealing with a project. They're not necessarily dealing with giving in general. They're dealing with a project. But everything they needed for the project, there was enough, and there was actually more than enough. And so at least the people that were in charge, at least Moses understood there's enough. And so they did not have a poverty mentality because if they had, they would keep it coming. But they said, stop giving. Yeah, but how many of us would stop giving? You understand what I'm saying? 
how many of us would stop the giving because we did all the, the calculations, we did everything, and we don't just have enough, we have more than enough. We got enough to do the carpet. We got enough to paint the building. We got enough to do the construction project we're doing. We, we're budgeting for 100000 and we have 300000 in hand. We don't need you to give to this project. We can use the giving for something else, but we don't need you to give for this project anymore. But how many of us would say, let them keep giving? Let them keep giving. Keep on giving. Keep on giving some more. It's not about it's wrong to keep on giving. What I'm trying to get you to see is that the mentality of the leadership had changed. They were no longer thinking with a poverty mentality. What showed their poverty mentality to begin with? Again, as I said, ingratitude, entitlement, selfishness. It wasn't enough to get them out of Egypt. Uh, what God was looking for was to get Egypt out of them. It's not enough to get you out of poverty. God wants to get poverty out of you. The, the, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there are three things that the earth can't bear up under, four things that are just over the top. And one of them is a, when a pauper becomes a king, when a slave becomes a king. Why is that a bad thing? Because when a slave becomes a king, he now has all the resources and the power available to him, but he still thinks like a slave. And a slave and a poverty mentality is all about me. I don't care. I don't, it's all about me. I'm not here for you. You're here for me. And so a nation trembles when somebody like that gets into rulership, gets into a place of authority. And I want you to know that God's plan for you and I is to rule in life. Romans 5, 17, to rule and reign in life. I'm not talking about ruling over people. I'm talking about ruling in life. But if God's given you authority and power, his authority and power and resources are not for our benefit alone. It's for the welfare and the benefit of the people around us. Right? But a poverty mentality says, no, that's not enough for me. I can't help you. There's not enough for me. I don't have enough time for you. I don't, I don't even have enough time for myself. You know why you don't have enough time for yourself? Because you haven't learned how to give away your time. Right? I, I've only had time to watch four hours of Netflix tonight. I don't have enough time. <laughs> now, I'm being facetious and kind of making fun, but I'm serious. People say, I don't have enough time because their time is consumed with themselves. Right? And if you were to go and say, well, I can't get rid of that. Well, I've got to have my primetime video. I gotta have my this. I gotta I gotta have that, you know. And and you find I don't have any time. Well, how much of your time is taken up by things that are for your benefit, not for the benefit of others? Romans twelve and two. Do not become formed to this world, but be by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good acceptable and perfect will of God by the way when Paul wrote that he wasn't writing that to unbelievers he wasn't writing that to new believers he was writing that to established church this is the will of God for your life you're Christians you're born again but God's desire is that you be not conformed but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and what we're talking about here tonight is we're talking about that area of the thinking that is a poverty way of thinking God wants more than just to give you resources God wants to change your way of thinking so when he does give you resources that you'll use those resources to further the kingdom 
my point is that slaves don't stop resources from coming in. You get as much as you can for as long as you can because you never know when the fountain's going to dry up. Yet here, they actually stop the flow of resources coming in, and that shows me a change in the way they were looking at life. There was enough. In fact, there was more than enough, not just for this project, but for any project. And that's the point. We have the strength to say no because we don't serve money. We don't serve resources. We serve God. And resources are there to serve God and to serve the, the things that God wants us to do in this life. Right? We serve a God who possesses unlimited resources. Right? Now, I, I, let me use this in the way of wisdom. So y'all are like, money, money, money. You want more money? You're going to take an offering? No. I'm not. Now, I'm not an unintelligent guy. I'm not, right? And I'm not being facetious. I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm not being egotistical. I'm not being proud. Uh, I'm not an unintelligent guy. I'm educated. Uh, I've gone to school. And not that that makes you wise because there's a lot of educated people that are stupid. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth, right? But one of the things that I learned in life is that I don't have to know everything if I walk in uh, 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 in company with a God that knows everything, right? I don't need to have a million dollars in my bank account if I walk in company with a God that has the capacity to have unlimited resources in his life, right? For some reason, it makes me feel better to have $500 in my pocket. There's nothing wrong with having $500 in your pocket, right? Uh, but it makes me feel better. I feel more secure when reality is it's not money that should make me secure. It's the God that can provide me with what I need anytime I want. So if I can't pull out $100 every time, you know, that I need something, but I have $10 and, and then I, I give away the 10, but every time I like $10, Father gives me 10 more. Doesn't, I don't have to have a million dollars in the bank because every time I have a need, Father puts it in my pocket. You understand what I'm saying? But we, we kind of tend to feel like, no, I got to have more. My 401k has to have this much. My retirement has to have this much. All this has, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But is your confidence in your ability to build bigger silos with more stuff in it, or is your confidence in God who can fill your silo anytime he wants? That's the difference between a poverty mentality and a kingdom mentality, is that you serve a God that has unlimited resources in your life. And if God says, do this, a lot of times we want to say, um, why don't you send me a check first, and then I'll do that. But see, God doesn't do that. It's like tithing, right? Oh, no, he is talking about tithing. Oh, no. I didn't think you were going to do that. I'm sorry. Not for teaching the Word of God, but I'm sorry to dash your expectations. Most people that begin tithing begin from a place of lack. Because they hear the Word of God. The Word of God says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Most of the time we think in our lives, give some to me, and then I'll give some back to you. But that's not how the Bible works. God says, give, and then it shall be given unto you. Why would I do that? Because when you trust,
trust in God and what God says, then that you are mingling the word of God with faith. And faith is the currency of the kingdom. Well, I look at my spreadsheet and I don't have enough to give 10% to the church. I just don't have enough. Well, what you're probably going to find is you don't have enough, period. Right? It's a, but the Word of God says this. Well, what do you want me to do? You want me to just blindly begin? You know, just if I know they don't have enough money to meet the end of my month already, and you want me to give 10% to the Lord, I'm going to have less money than I had before. Well, in the natural realm, that's true. But that's not how God works. God has resources that you know not of and he has the ability to put resources in your hand and he has the ability to do things in your life you have no clue how he's going to do it but it takes faith god your word says this so because your word says this i'm going to begin to do what your word says even though it's impossible i don't have enough there's no way it's going to work i'm going to trust you anyway and i'm going to do it and what you will find is over a period of time it may not happen the first week but over a period of time because now you are sowing and it takes time for that seed to produce a crop you see you've got years decades of a crop that you've sown and all of a sudden, you think that you're going to sow the seed of the Word of God, and you're not going to still reap some of that seed from the previous crop. But if you will sow the Word that God tells you, you will find that God's crop will end up overtaking that. And that's what I'm saying is, well, I gave uh, uh, 10% uh, this week, and I haven't seen anything. How long has it been? Two days. Come back in three months and see whether or not what God has said he would do. He did. And he doesn't do it naturally. He does it supernaturally. Now, I'm going I'm to put you on the spot, but can you tell that five, $5, what is it that, where you tell that story where God said, just give, yeah, Anna Jeff, not Bobby Jeff, Anna Jeff. Yeah, can you do that? Because I think it would just fit right here. And I'm done, by the way. Should be on. It's on. Um, I don't know how many years ago. Couldn't tell you, but it's been a good while ago. <clears throat> um, back in the waterbed era, I remember that because I was, <laughs> seriously, that kind of gives you an idea. Um, we had, Bobby and I had made some poor choices. You ever do that? And uh, we'd gotten ourselves in a bind. Um, and then on top of that, we had um, coupled or joined a little group that, that um, for a tax write-off, we bought a particular piece of property along with other, like 11 other businessmen in the community. And um, <clears throat> one of those businessmen, and if I called his name, you'd know it, forged our name to not just a little bit of money, but a lot of money, lots of money, more money than I've ever seen. And so we were in a bind. We owed, I can't even tell you how much money that we owed, um, coupled with this other massive impossible debt and 
it was overwhelming. And I wanted so badly to contribute, to do something. You know, I, I was laying in bed. Bobby was, of course, sound asleep while I'm laying there bawling and squalling. Yeah, because he's like, he's like, okay, God will take care of us. You know, <laughs> but I'm thinking, Lord, give me wisdom. There's got to be some way that I can make some money. There's got to be. Uh, what can I do? What can I do? And I was, my mind was racing and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, now whenever God speaks to me, I don't know how he speaks to you, but when he speaks to me, I don't hear it with these ears, but I hear it. And he spoke to me. And every time when he speaks, it's like he gives me an injection. It's just like, and the whole thing is there. And this is what he said. He said, Joe, when you write the tithe check on Friday, because then I was working full-time as the office manager for Bobby. She, he said, whenever you write the tithe check, just add five bucks every Friday. I flipped out because I'm thinking, every Friday? That would add up quickly. Add five bucks. And when Bobby asks you, what is this? You say, it's just five bucks. And all of a sudden, I start laughing because I thought, me and God, we got us a secret. <laughs> and so that Friday, I could not wait to write a check for $5 more than we had been giving in the past. Now, I'm not telling you to go do this. I'm just telling you what God told me to do. And I'm telling you, when he tells you something, you can stand on it. It's, it's established. When he speaks it out of his mouth, it's already done as long as we obey. And so, Pilar, I wrote that check for $5 more. <laughs> Couldn't wait to give it. I was so excited. The next Friday, I'm still excited. The next Friday, I'm still excited. And we didn't have it, but I wrote the check. And so, about six months into it, we used to have one of those big old, we had those big ledgers, you know, that would go and they fold it out, and you'd write the check, and then you'd write here, and then you'd write here. Remember those? And you just go on and on? Well, he came in my office with that big ledger, and he looked at me, and he said, what is this? And I didn't even get nervous. <laughs> I just said, it's just five bucks. I promise you, it made no sense whatsoever. But Bobby, it, God knows Bobby. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but he just said, oh, okay. And he walked back in his office and sat down. Now, I had a, a file, a ledger on the desk back in the old days before the computers, and I had those yellow manila things that opened up. They were long and skinny like this, and they were in a narrow file, and I had they were so tight I had stuffed in there I couldn't put another one in, and that was a lot of money that we owed. So I began to write the $5 check on Friday, and that ledger started emptying. And it started emptying. And the, one of the things the Lord told, spoke to me and said was, whenever you can write a check for the bill that comes in the door today, then you can stop. In one year, the box was empty. Everything was paid off. Everything was paid off. The debt, Bobby's crying, the debt, the debt that the enemy had and he comes to steal and, and kill and destroy. He tried to steal from us. But you know what? God had a different plan. 
He took a little nobody that can't make money and said, just do what I tell you to do. I got you covered. I got your back. You're good. In one year, we were out of debt. We owed nothing to no one. And God had resolved that humongous debt. He had reduced it to like 53000 which was just ridiculous. And we paid it off. Our God is an awesome God. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, as pastor preaches, I'm thinking of all the things that I've experienced in my life. All the different miracles, all the different times God spoke, every time he healed me. All those things just go over and over in my mind. As I, Does it happen to you too? That God is doing that. He's bringing us up a place to a place of remembrance in him. We are going to remember. We're going to remember the blessings. We're going to remember and we're going to worship him for those things. He's worthy. He doesn't have to, but he wants to. Amen? So that it's just five bucks. Ain't no big deal. Just five bucks. And look where God, what God did. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, I, I just, I like that because five dollars is not going to pay off all that debt. Your tithe is not going to pay off everything in your life. It's not about that. It's about obedience to the Lord, doing what he says, and it opens up supernatural resources in your life because God is a supernatural God. You do, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do his word. Do what he says, and God will do what he says he will do. Amen? All right. So, uh, just kind of finish in the book of Haggai. Remember, I use that scripture because, you know, you're building your panel houses, but you're not doing this for the prophets prophesied. And they began to build the house of God. And then it said in Haggai 2, 18 through 23, Consider now, uh, from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the Lord's, that the temple of the Lord was laid, consider it. He's saying, you're putting the house of God first. You're starting to build the house of God. Is the steed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. So as you honor God and submit what you have to the Creator, you come to see who He truly is. And when you see His nature, His unlimited resources, you no longer worry about the things you previously were concerned about. Worship, true worship, changes you. As you see Him, you become like Him. You no longer think like a, like a, uh, with a poverty mentality, but you think like a child of the king. Resources no longer are a liability that enslaves you, but a tool to be used to advance his will, his kingdom on this planet. Consequently, as a good steward, the blessings of God are now free to flow in your life because they can and will flow through you. Amen? It's not about what you have. It's about how you think. How you think will determine what you do. And what you do will determine what God will do in you and through you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we had to be here today. We thank you for your word and truth.